listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I've been reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook and find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group page, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir aflame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit. God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 361. We are reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 20, paragraphs 747 to 759. Chapter 20. The Burial of the Sacred Body of the Most Blessed Mary, and What Happened Thereat. 747. In order that the apostles, the disciples, and many others of the faithful might not be too deeply oppressed by sorrow, and in order that some of them might not die of grief caused by the passing away of the Most Blessed Mary, it was necessary that the divine power, by a special providence, furnish them with consolation and dilate their heart for new influences in their incomparable affliction. For the feeling that their loss was irretrievable in their present life could not be repressed. The privation of such a treasure could never find a recompense. And as the most sweet, loving, and amiable intercourse and conversation of their great queen had ravished the heart of each one, the ceasing of her protection company left them, as it were, without the breath of life. But the Lord, who well knew how to estimate the just cause of their sorrow, secretly upheld them by his encouragements. And so they set about the fitting burial of the sacred body and whatever the occasion demanded. 748. Accordingly, the holy apostle on whom this duty specially devolved held a conference concerning the burial of the most sacred body of their queen and lady. They selected for that purpose a new sepulcher, which had been prepared mysteriously by the providence of her divine son. As they remembered that, according to the custom of the Jews at burial, the deified body of their master had been anointed with precious ointments and spices and wrapped in the sacred burial cloths. They thought not of doing otherwise with the virginal body of his most holy mother. Accordingly, they called the two maidens who had assisted the queen during her life and who had been designated as the heiress of her tunics and instructed them to anoint the body of the mother of God with highest reverence and modesty and wrap it in the winding sheets before it should be placed in the casket. With great reverence and fear, the two maidens entered the room where the body of the blessed lady lay upon its couch but the refulgence issuing from it barred and blinded them in such a manner that they could neither see nor touch the body, nor even ascertain in what particular place it rested. 749. 
In fear and reverence still greater than on their entrance, the maidens left the room, and in great excitement and wonder they told the apostles what had happened. They, not without divine inspiration, came to the conclusion that this sacred Ark of the Covenant was not to be touched or handled in the common way. Then St. Peter and St. John entered the oratory and perceived the effulgence, and at the same time they heard the celestial music of the angels, who were singing, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Others responded, A virgin before childbirth, and childbirth, and after childbirth. From that time on, many of the faithful expressed their devotion toward the Blessed Mary in these words of praise, and from them they were handed down to be repeated by us with the approbation of the Holy Church. The two holy apostles, St. Peter and St. John, were for a time lost in admiration at what they saw and heard of their queen, and in order to decide what to do, they sank on their knees, beseeching the Lord to make it known. Then they heard a voice saying, Let not the sacred body be either uncovered or touched. 750. Having thus been informed of the will of God, they brought a beer, and the effulgence having diminished somewhat, they approached the couch with their own hands reverently to hold of the tunic at the two ends. Thus, without changing its posture, they raised the sacred and virginal treasure and placed it on the bier in the same position as it had occupied on the couch. They could easily do this because they felt no more weight than that of the tunic. On this bier, the former effulgence of the body moderated still more, and all of them, by disposition of the Lord and for the consolation of all those present, can now perceive and study the beauty of that virginal countenance and of her hands. As for the rest, the omnipotence of God protected this his heavenly dwelling, so that neither in life nor in death anyone should behold any other part except what is common in ordinary conversation, namely her most inspiring countenance, by which she had been known by her hands, by which she had labored. 751. So great was the care and solicitude for his most blessed mother, then this particular, he used not so much precaution in regard to his own body as that of the most pure virgin. In her immaculate conception, he made her like to himself, likewise at her birth, in as far as it did not take place in the common and natural manner of other men. He preserved her also from impure temptations and thoughts. But as he was man and the redeemer of the world, through his passion and death he permitted with his own body what he would not allow with hers, as that of a woman, and therefore he kept her virginal body entirely concealed. In fact, the most pure lady during her life had herself asked that no one should be permitted to look upon it in death, which petition he fulfilled. Then the apostles consulted further about her burial. Their decision becoming known among the multitudes of the faithful in Jerusalem, they brought many candles to be lighted at the bier, and it happened that all the lights burned through that day, and the two following days without any of the candles being consumed or wasted in any shape or manner. 752. In order that this and many other miracles wrought by the power of God on this occasion might become better known to the world, the Lord himself inspired all the inhabitants of Jerusalem to be present at the burial of his most blessed mother, so that there was scarcely any person in Jerusalem, even of the Jews or the Gentiles, were not attracted by the novelty of this spectacle. The apostles took upon their shoulders the sacred body in the tabernacle of God, and as priests of the evangelical law bore the propitiatory of the divine oracles and blessings in orderly procession, from the cenacle in this city to the valley of Jehoshaphat. This was the visible accompaniment of the dwellers of Jerusalem. But besides this there was another invisible multitude, that of the courtiers of heaven. It was composed of the thousand angels of the queen, 
continuing their celestial songs, which were heard by the apostles and disciples and many others, and which sweetly continued for three days. In addition to these, many other spirits had descended from heaven, namely many thousands or legions of angels, with the ancient patriarchs and prophets among whom were St. Joachim, St. Anne, St. Joseph, St. Elizabeth and the Baptist, and numerous other saints who were sent by our Savior Jesus to assist at the exequies and burial of his most blessed mother. 753. In the midst of this celestial and earthly accompaniment, visible and invisible, the apostles bore along the sacred body, and on the way happened great miracles, which would take much time to relate. In particular, all the sick, of which there were many of the different kinds, were entirely cured. Many of the possessed were freed from the demons, for the evil spirits did not dare to wait until the sacred body came near the persons thus afflicted. Greater still were the miracles of conversions wrought among many Jews and Gentiles. For on this occasion were opened up the treasures of divine mercy, so that many souls came to the knowledge of Christ, our Savior, and loudly confessed him as the true God and Redeemer, demanding baptism. Many days thereafter the apostles and disciples labored hard in catechizing and baptizing those who on that day had been converted to the holy faith. The apostles, in carrying the sacred body, felt wonderful effects of divine light and consolation in which the disciples shared according to their measure. All the multitudes of the people were seized with astonishment at the fragrance diffused about, the sweet music and the other prodigies. They proclaimed God great and powerful in this creature, and in testimony of their acknowledgment, they struck their breasts in sorrow and compunction. 754. When the procession came to the Holy Sepulchre in the Valley of Josephat, the same two apostles, St. Peter and St. John, who had laid the celestial treasure from the couch Unto the bier, with joyful reverence, placed it in the sepulchre, and covered it with a linen cloth. The hands of the angels performing more of these last rites than the angels of the apostles, they closed up the sepulchre with a large stone according to custom at other burials. The celestial courtiers returned to heaven, while the thousand angels of the queen continued their watch, guarding the sacred body and keeping up the music as at her burial. The concourse of the people lessened, and the holy apostles and disciples dissolved in tender tears. Returned to the cenacle during a whole year, the exquisite fragrance exhaled by the body of the queen was noticeable throughout the cenacle and in her oratory for many years. The sanctuary remained a place of refuge for all those that were burdened with labor and difficulties. All found miraculous assistance, as well in sickness as in hardships and necessities of other kind. After these miracles had continued for some years in Jerusalem, The sins of Jerusalem and of its inhabitants drew upon the city, among other punishments, that of being deprived of this inestimable blessing. 7.55 Having again gathered in the cenacle, the apostles came to the conclusion that some of them, of the disciples, should watch at the sepulcher of the queen, as long as they should hear the celestial music, for all of them were wondering when the end of that miracle should be. Accordingly, some of them attended to the affairs of the church in catechizing and baptizing the new converts, and others immediately returned to the sepulchre, while all of them paid frequent visits to it during the next three days. St. Peter and St. John, however, were more zealous in their attendance, coming only a few times to the cenacle and immediately returning to where was laid the treasure of their heart. Nor were the irrational creatures missing at the exquisites of the mistress of the universe. For as the sacred body arrived near the grave, innumerable large and small birds gathered in the air, and many animals and wild beasts rushed from the mountains toward the sepulchre. 
the ones singing sorrowfully, the others emitting groans and doleful sounds, and all of them showing grief in their movements, as if mourning over the common loss. Only a few unbelieving Jews, more hardened than the rocks and more impious than the wild beasts, failed to show sorrow at the death of their restoratrix, as they had failed to do also at the death of their Redeemer and Master. Instruction which the Queen of Heaven Most Holy Mary gave me. 756. My daughter, in commemorating my natural death and my burial, I wish that thou also die and be buried to all worldly things. This is to be the fruit of thy principal result of thy having known and written my life. Many times in the course of thy writing have I manifested to thee this as my desire, and intimated it to thee as my will, lest thou waste the singular favor shown to thee by the Lord and by me. It is a foul offense in any Christian if, after dying to sin and after being reborn in Christ by baptism, knowing that the Lord died for him, he returns again to the same faults, and that this will be still a greater wickedness in those souls who are called by a special grace to be the most dear friends of the Lord, as is the case with those who, for that very purpose, dedicate and consecrate themselves to his closer service in religion, each one according to his condition and state. In these souls, the vices of the world cause horror in heaven itself, because the pride, the presumption, the haughtiness, the want of mortification, the anger of covetousness, the conscious impurities, and other wickedness in such souls, force the Lord and the saints to withdraw from the sight of their monstrous distortion, and rouse them to greater wrath and offense than the same sins in other souls. Therefore, the Lord repudiates many who unrighteously bear the name of being his spouses, and leaves them to their own bad counsels, because they have so disloyally broken it, the fidelity promised to God and to me in their vocation and profession. But if all souls must fear this terrible infidelity, consider well, my daughter, what abhorrence, especially thou wouldst deserve in the sight of God, if thou wert guilty of such disloyalty. It is time that thou die to the visible things, and that the body be buried in thy self-knowledge and self-abasement, while the souls sink into the being of God. The days of thy life in this world are coming to a close, and I shall be the judge to execute the sentence of thy separation from life and from the world. Thou needest not any more be seen with those who live in it, nor they with thee. The writing of my life should be for thee the seal of thy death to the world, as I have so often exhorted thee, and as thou hast repeatedly and expressly promised me with heartfelt tears. 758. I wish this to be the proof of my doctrine and of its efficacy. Do not permit it to be discredited in thee to my dishonor, but let heaven and earth perceive the force of its truth, and of my example in thy works. For this thou must depend neither upon thy understanding nor upon thy will, and still less upon thy inclinations and passions, because all this for thee has come to a finish. The law must be the will of the Lord and my own, and the dictates of obedience. And in order that thou mayest never mistake what is pleasing in them, the most holy, the most perfect, and God-pleasing, the Lord has provided for thy direction in all things, lavishing upon thee his own care, mine, and that of the holy angels. Do not allege ignorance, pusillanimity, or weakness, nor much less fear. Weigh thy obligation, estimate thy indebtedness, attend to the continual light, operate with the grace thou receivest, so that amid all these benefits there be no cross so heavy, no death so bitter, as shall not be deemed by the very light and acceptable. In this consists all thy good, and in it is to be thy delight. Since if thou dost not succeed in dying to all things, 
Besides that, thy path will be sown with thorns. Thou shalt not reach the perfection thou desirest, nor the state to which the Lord calls thee. 7.59 If the world will not forget thee, do thou forget it. If it will not leave thee alone, remember that thou hast forsaken it, and that I have separated thee from it. If it follow thee, fly. If it flatter thee, despise it. If it condemn thee, suffer it. And if it seek thee, let it not find thee except, and so far, as will be the glory of the Most High. But as regards all the rest, thou must not any more bear in mind than the living remember the dead. Forget it, just as the dead forget the living. And I desire that thou have no more intercourse with this world than the dead have with the living. It will not seem extraordinary to thee. Then the beginning, in the middle, and at the end of this history, I repeat so often this doctrine. If thou ponder, what depends upon thy practicing it? Consider, my dearest, what persecutions the devil has roused against thee in secret, through the world and its inhabitants upon different pretexts and appearances. If God has permitted them for the purpose of trying thee, and the exercise of his grace, it is proper that, as far as thou art concerned, thou take it as a lesson and a warning. Remember that great is the treasure which thou carriest in a fragile vessel, 2 Corinthians 2.7, and that all hell conspires and rises up against thee. Thou livest in mortal flesh, surrounded and assailed by astute enemies. Be a spouse of Christ, my divine Son, and I shall be thy mother and instructress. Recognize then thy need and thy weaknesses, and correspond with me as a dearest daughter, as an obedient and perfect disciple in all things. This concludes our reading today for day number 361. We have been reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 20, paragraphs 747 to 759. Today's reading tells us about the funeral procession and the burial of Our Lady. And there are traditions. There's one tradition that says that Mary died in Ephesus, but here we have Maria of Agreda proposing that she dies in Jerusalem. This, in my opinion, is the more stronger position because in Jerusalem, there has been, since about the 400s, a church that commemorates the tomb of Our Lady, and it is near the Garden of Gethsemane. The story that Maria Vagreda relates about Mary's burial procession and then her burial is very similar to that of the Eastern churches, where they have in the streets people who are being healed and such, and we have that today. And that just goes to show how God continues to work through Our Lady. That even by passing through the streets, people continue to experience an outpouring of grace. How beautiful it is to think that as Mary was placed in her tomb, that these 5,000 angels that guarded her all throughout her life, that there they are singing melodious hymns, praising God, that the angels could be heard singing. And then we get in our instruction today from the Blessed Mother. She says, I wish that thou also die and be buried to all worldly things, and this is to be the fruit and the principal result of thy having known and written my life. So that's very specific to Maria of Agreda. But then you can translate that to us. Okay. I wish that thou also die and be buried to all worldly things. This is to be the fruit and the principal result of having read my life. Mary could say that to us, to die to self, that her death teaches us something about death 
to the world. She says that for the sinner who keeps returning to the same faults after confessing them and being forgiven, that that is something we should really be concerned about. And that speaks to that death of self, doesn't it? We look at this reading over the last 361 days, and now as we go forward in the last few days, we say, well, how is my life different now because of this? And Our Lady is naming it here today in our reading as she has been buried. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.